Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, uh, we've been thinking about the Council for Exceptional Children all season. And so today's special guest is a perfect one. Yeah, so we're so excited to have with us today a legend in the field and a past president of CEC, uh, Mary Ruth Coleman. Mary Ruth, thanks for joining us. Delighted to be with you today. Well, thank you. And we're so excited uh, just for those of you who don't have the privilege of knowing and getting to sit here and look at, at Mary Ruth. She's a past senior scientist or she's a senior scientist emeritus at the FPG Child Development Institute at UNC Chapel Hill. And she was past president in CC in 2007. So I'm going to ask you a question that might sound a little funny because we know you weren't president 100 years ago, but you also know that it is CC's 100th anniversary. So we're curious about um, what in your career in the past 100 years uh, would you consider to be most impactful or that you'd like to share uh, with our audience today? Well, it's interesting that you phrase it that way, because the thing that I'm actually very excited about that I've been able to do is I've actually been able to become part of a living legacy, a living legacy in teacher preparation. And the way that I've done that is by becoming a co-author on the textbook, Educating Exceptional Children. And we're in the process now of doing the 15th edition of Educating Exceptional Children. But the legacy goes back. It goes back to Dr. Samuel Kirk, who was, if we want to say, maybe the grandfather of special education. He was a president of CEC. And he was the one who kind of coined the initial term learning disabilities to work with students who were really you know, bright and capable, but were still struggling in school. His student, Jim Gallagher, came on board as the second author. Dr. Gallagher is also a past president of CEC. And he came on board on, I think, the, the third or fourth edition of Educating Exceptional Children. And then I came on board on the 11th edition. And so this legacy of teacher preparation and thinking about what is it that teachers need to know and what do they need to be able to do to work with students with exceptionalities is an ongoing part of the Council for Exceptional Children. And the legacy has been passed on from mentor to mentee, from mentor to mentee. And at this point, we're working on the 15th edition, and I am now um, the sole living author. But it's my responsibility to carry this forward, to carry forward the work of Dr. Kirk and Dr. Gallagher, and to carry it into the future. So this was the first textbook in special education. It was first out in 1960, and now here we are carrying it forward. And that's really, really important. So, and, and the teachers who use this and textbook. And I learned the from that textbook. Yeah, there you go. So yeah. you're part of this legacy. You are part of the legacy. And it keeps going. It keeps going. Yes. I love it. I love it. Well, literally, as the person who wrote the book on special education, um, when you think Revise about today's now. <laughs> well, that you're, you're who everyone's reading, whether it's a revised edition or not, um, you, you can continue to carry this on. When you think about the needs in today's classrooms, what do you think are the most important things that teachers do need to know when they walk in that door? 
You know, it's, it's, there's so many things that are required of teachers and kind of the day-to-day, like how do you use high leverage practices? How do you make decisions and how do you connect with families? And I think in this day and age in particular, because of the high stress and the rapid change and the things that we've been going through, what's really important is that teachers remember why they became teachers, why they do what they do. And I want to tell a little story to help us kind of understand and put in context the importance of what it is we do when we choose to become a teacher. And the story is of a medieval traveler. This traveler is going from the rural England into London for the first time. But remember now, we're in medieval London. And when the traveler arrives, he's awestruck by the town and by everything going on and by it's being so busy and not really understanding and from being from a very rural part of England, what all this means. He notices a huge construction project, huge construction project. And he's very curious about this. This construction project could encompass his entire village inside. So he goes over to kind of learn about it and find out about it. And he's walking the perimeter of the construction site. And he comes to the mason, a first mason. And he says, excuse me, good man, what are you doing? And the mason looks at him and says, I'm laying brick. What does it look like I'm doing? I'm laying brick. Well, that wasn't exactly the answer he was looking for. So he continues to walk along the foundation. And he comes to another mason. He says, excuse me, good sir, but what are you doing, may I ask? What are you doing? And the second mason looks at him and says, why, I'm building a foundation. This is what I do for a living. I earn the bread for my family. Okay. And he continues to walk around the perimeter. And he comes to a third mason. And he asks the mason, excuse me, good sir, but could you tell me, please, what are you doing? And the mason turns to him and says, I am building a cathedral. Hmm. Now, teachers, you know, we can approach what we do from lots of different mindsets. We can approach what we do as when I'm teaching, I mean, I'm trying to make sure they hit benchmarks. I mean, I'm trying to follow the standards. That's what I'm doing. I'm teaching. Or we can understand that, yeah, we're building a foundation for that student and for their life. And we're earning our living. It's our job. Or with every student we meet who we have responsibility for, we can understand that we are building their cathedral with them. That we have in our hands the power to shape their lives, to influence their future, to help them become and be the best that they can be. And when we remember that, it's awe-inspiring and humbling. And remember just how important what you're doing is for that child, for that student who has been given to you to care for. I love it. And with that cathedral analogy, I'm going to ask you a quick follow-up question. Um, you know, you, you talked about this legacy and, you know, happened to be a University of Illinois grad um, and super excited. You know, you mentioned some legends in the field from, from my alma mater too. And 
I, I'm just thinking about, you know, what is that, that cathedral? What do you hope is the message as you go into edition 16, 17, 18, 25, 35? What is oh, gosh. That, yeah. <laughs> what is that message that you hope the field will continue to hear from both your work and just in general, as we move forward into the next hundred years in the field? Well, what I think is, is how important it is. I think the message is take what you do seriously. Take yourself lightly, of course, but take what you do seriously. Continue to build that evidence base. Continue to innovate. Continue to look for flexible ways that we can adapt, adjust, and respond. And if we can build more flexibility into the system through our special education initiatives, we can build more flexibility in the system in general. And as we get that additional flexibility to honor students' strengths and needs, then all of our students are better served, not just our students with exceptionalities. And I, I think special education, sometimes we, we feel um, marginalized or sidestepped, or we don't recognize clearly that the work we're doing is actually groundbreaking. The work we're doing is actually forging the path for all students, you know, when we talk about adapting and modifying and adjusting, we lead to personalizing. When we talk about looking at how do we um, leverage strategies to create autonomy, those are now becoming mainstream. They're now in the classroom. They're now regular classroom. So the kinds of things that we do when we address the complexities of student learning are pushed into general education. And special education, we should hold our head high. And we should say, you know, our job is working with some of the most complex needs, working with some of the most um, acute needs, and learning how to teach under some of the most difficult kinds of circumstances. Assistive technology that we piloted, that we invented, that we um, <laughs> began is now mainstream, you know? So we need to realize that we are actually pioneers in the way of uh, meaning a verb. We pioneer. And what we do and the path we leave is followed by general education. So we should forge ahead and do it proudly. <laughs> well, thank you for reminding us why we're here. Yeah. So my last question is just any words of wisdom for um that new CEC member as they might venture into this in, you know, just maybe one quick tip, like if you're, you know, what, what would be your go-to if I'm saying, why should I join CEC? So the thing that we need to remember is teaching is hard work. It is, and, and, and that's a fact. But the good news is we're not in it alone. None of us is alone. So we have our colleagues back at our school. We have our IEP multidisciplinary team. We have our families that we work with. We have the students. We're not in it alone. And the thing about CEC is that when you're a member of CEC, you're really not in it alone. You can't do it alone. So you might as well bond with your community. And CEC is your professional community and it's your professional family. And when you're a member of CEC, you have access to all the resources, sure, 
the professional development, the materials, the books, the webinars, you know, the publications, all of that. But the most important thing you get as a member of CEC is membership in the community. You belong, you're part of the CEC family. And so the most important thing you get is access to other colleagues, access to colleagues who have wisdom, knowledge, expertise, access to colleagues who can be mentors to you or who you can mentor. And the community of CEC is really probably the most valuable asset that membership brings you. And being a member of CEC means that you don't have to do it alone. You've got the rest of us. And CEC is us. It's all of us. So we do it together. I love it. And I think that's true no matter what organization, but it's really nice to have such great voices from CEC representing this 100-year anniversary and celebration. Well, thank you so much, Mary Ruth. We really appreciate you sharing your expertise, your legacy work in the field, and having impact many, many undergrads over the years with that amazing textbook. So we appreciate you. And if you have any questions for us uh, as a field, please send us a tweet at Access Practical or post a question on our Facebook page. Thank you again, Mary Ruth. Thank you. Thank you.